Well, welcome to Trinity Life Church. Uh, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here, along with uh, Pastor Mike, and he'll be coming up here in a few seconds as well. Uh, we're really excited that you're here with us uh, this morning, and uh, this is a very meaningful day to our church in particular, but to the church at large in general. Uh, for those of you guys who are, maybe this is your first time back in church, or maybe uh, you, you know, you've, been, it's, you've been busy, it's been a long time since you've been to church, I want to say welcome and really excited that you're here with us as well. Uh, we have so much going on today um, and so much going on in our community. And so we're going to see baptisms today. We're also <coughs> at the end of our service. Um, as we dismiss uh, around the corner, uh, there is a refreshment stand. And then behind that, we have the zone for the kids that they just get to have fun and play. And parents, honestly, if you want to jump in as well, you can do that. Uh, that'll happen directly after our service. Uh, it's called our Easter extravaganza. And our host later, she'll give us some more um, information about that. Um, thank you so much again for making this a part of your weekend. We know that uh, Easter is a time where a lot of people, I mean, you're with family, you've got plans and stuff like that. It's a long weekend. Um, but as a community of faith, we want to make sure that we're taking time to amply process the reason why we gather as a church. And part of the reason why churches gather on Sundays is because Jesus, the one that we worship, he resurrected on Sunday. And so whereas the Jewish faith, their day of worship was on the Saturday, the church 2,000 years ago thought that it was worthy that we actually change our day of worship to Sunday to reflect that actually Easter is something we don't just celebrate once a year, but it's something that we consistently uh, celebrate um, every week. And so uh, that's why Sundays is our day of worship. And uh, But this Sunday in particular is a meaningful and important one because it is a day that we commemorate that Jesus not only died on the cross for our sins, that was Friday, but Sunday uh, represents the day that he overcame death many of the things that we just sung about. So um, for me, the resurrection story is very meaningful in the sense that when I was 24, I actually had a lot of struggles with my faith. I'd grown up in church and in a sense accepted the faith wholesale, but never really intellectually processed what it meant to the things that I believed. And it was probably around the age of 22 to about 24 that I began ask, asking a lot of questions about faith, questions about suffering, questions about the meaning of life. Other religions, is the Bible valid? These questions plagued me. It really haunted me. I was married, newly married for a few years at that point, and uh, it scared me that maybe my faith was coming undone. And it was a long journey for me. It was a journey of about six to eight months where I was asking these questions consistently over and over again. And honestly, the church that I went to was a great church, but I didn't know that it was okay to struggle in this way. So I was very embarrassed, actually. And so I remember just having this conversation with my wife at the time and maybe one other person, and I didn't know who to turn to. I didn't know that it was okay to attend church or be a part of the community and still have that level of struggle and doubt. I thought that you had, to have, you had to have it down perfect and you had to have your beliefs you know, um, uh, completely decided. And so um, it was very scary for me to, to walk through some of those questions and I didn't have an environment. Uh, and so when we started this church uh, a few years ago, two years ago, we wanted to make sure that Trinity Life was a church where you could ask questions. That it didn't, it didn't matter if you grew up in church or maybe you, uh, you were coming to church for the first time. We wanted to make sure that this was a place where um, people who had questions could, could ask questions freely and not be judged. And so that was a big part of uh, the DNA of our church. And so um, when I actually went through the struggle, I sent an email to this guy who I had no clue who he was at the time. His name was N.T. Wright. Uh, later I found out that he is the world's renowned New Testament scholar. Um, but at the time, I just sent it to, you know, I literally typed in questions about the Bible resurrection. His name popped up. Uh, Google works miracles for your faith. Um, and so, uh, uh, so N.T. Wright uh, shot me an email. And again, I just thought this was just some random guy, you know, answering my, my questions. 
And he didn't send me a very long email. It was one paragraph, and he said this. I can't answer all your questions about evil and suffering and pain. But let me tell you this. Why don't you investigate the resurrection? If it did happen, it must mean something. If it didn't happen, then you can be on your way. And it was that nugget of, of truth. It was that thought that if the resurrection really did happen, then faith must mean something. And so uh, a part of uh, uh, our, our hope as a church is to allow you to struggle if you do struggle with faith in an environment where you can do that and not be judged. And so we've been building this course called Alpha, um, and it's one that people have done all over the world. And it's one that uh, we have a group that's leading in the next few weeks. And we're going to uh, invite a friend, Stephen DeKuyper. He's going to share a story about his experience with Alpha. Uh, Stephen grew up here in the GTA, um, and uh, I'll let you share. I don't want to steal your thunder. Um, but was not a part of a believing community until he became an adult. Uh, and now he's working on his PhD. Uh, but Stephen has an experience with Alpha that he's going to share with us this morning. So Stephen? Oh yes, I'm sorry. Oh kids, I'm so sorry. Before Stephen comes up here. Kids, you're going to have a great time today, alright? Our teachers are over here. Um, so the teachers have an awesome time of arts and crafts for our, teacher, uh, for our kids today. So let me dismiss our kids before we go. Okay, thanks. Thanks, brother. I'm super excited, super excited. We're going to be hosting an Alpha course here at uh, Trinity Life. Um, Alpha has impacted the lives of tens, if not hundreds, and maybe millions of people, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people around the world. And I'm one of those people. And so I'm super excited that we're having it here uh, because I'm a huge fan of Alpha. Uh, unlike, unlike Daniel, I did not grow up in the church. I literally did not sit into a church service until I was 36 years old. And so I was completely unchurched, had no idea, grew up in the GTA. When I was younger, all I ever wanted to do was business. That was my, my religion, my idol. I just wanted to be a businessman, I wanted to be successful, thought I could get all, all the things that life would have if I could do that. And so I went and did an economics degree uh, at McGill, and I'm kind of a pseudo-intellectual, so I did a little philosophy as well, kind of trying to struggle with some of those bigger questions of life. But I did an economics degree, came back to Toronto in the early 90s. And anybody remembers the early 90s was not a good economy and not a great time to become a business person. So I worked for a real estate developer for a few years, and I was getting this, this itch that I wanted to go out. I wanted to go make my, make my money, fame and fortune. So I did what every uh, libertarian free market capitalist does. I got on a plane and I moved to Hong Kong. Now, if you don't know Hong Kong, it's, I mean, you've heard of Hong Kong, it is just, it's a holy land for capitalism. And so I went there, it's just so psyched to be there. So I went and spent three years in Hong Kong, fantastic time. Ended up going to the complete opposite and moved to Beijing afterwards, which is definitely not the center of capitalism, but up and coming. Spent a year and a half in Beijing. And then I moved down to Shanghai, and I spent 12 and a half years in Shanghai. And so all of the time in my, in my career, I was in commercial real estate. And so while I was in Shanghai for most of, or most of my time in China, my motto was work hard, play harder. And so I never at any point even thought about Christianity. That, I didn't know, really, frankly, I don't know if I could name 10 Christians that I knew growing up. But I thought, I don't know, you know, from little I know about Christianity, that'll really crimp the style of someone who wants to work hard and play harder. So it was never, it was never an issue. Until about 2005, and coming up to Christmas 2005, I got an inexplicable urge to go to church. It wasn't a voice in my head. It was like me speaking to myself saying, you know, this three weeks before Christmas. 
Uh, I was like, go to church, go to church. And I'm like, I'm not gonna go to church. Why would I go to church? That's a silly thing to think about. And so I really fought this urge. Anyway, it turns out that Christmas was on a Sunday, and I normally went over to a friend's place, and there's a big group of people, and we'd have a great time at Christmas. Um, but they all were busy that day. Everybody was going somewhere else. And my girlfriend had to work. So I literally, Sunday, Christmas, I had nothing to do. And so I thought, okay, maybe I'll try this church thing. So I went to an international church, and I was there, and I remember walking in. It's a big church, a lot of expatriates, about seven, eight hundred, nine hundred people at the service. And it was Christmas, and it was, it was really... It was really weird because I saw these people really praising God. And I'm thinking, I don't believe that God exists, but these people sure do. And so I was intrigued because they're also thinking, these are all business people, so they're not stupid. I mean, I'm not saying that I thought Christians were stupid, but <laughs> make that link. But I just didn't think they would be the kind that would be, be Christians. And so I decided to check it out. I thought, okay, well, maybe this is just a Christmas thing. I'm going to go back in a couple of weeks. The next week was New Year's, and I was definitely not going to be in church on New Year's Day. Uh, and so I thought, I'll go back and check it out. So I went a couple of weeks later, and what do you know? It was the same thing. People are worshiping God. I'm like, man, there's something that these people know that I don't. And so I decided to, to explore the faith. So I went home, and I knew my neighbors were Christians. So I went next door, and I said, uh, this is an odd request, but do you have a Bible I could borrow? And they're like, sure, I guess. Here, 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 help me. <laughs> so I took the Bible, and I took it home, and you know, I love to read, but I think, okay, well, I don't know anything about the Bible. So what do I read? Well, like most books, I turned to page one and just started reading from there. And it was really cool because I went through and I'm reading, but Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, and I'd heard all these names when I was growing up, even though I wasn't a Christian. I'd heard all these names, and I got to actually read the stories. Oh, this is really cool. And so I continued on reading, continued going to church, and then I decided to start listening to podcasts. So I was downloading sermons online. And so I'm going through this process, and I'm reading through, and I'm like, man, this is really, really real, but I don't want to become a Christian. I don't want to become a Christian. So I kind of made it an effort not to disprove Christianity, but I figured if I can poke enough holes in it, then I'm legitimately, uh, intellectually uh, credible to say that, look, I'm not, you know, this, is, this is, doesn't work for me, and I can walk away from it. But the more I read, the more it became true. And so I continued on. I thought, well... I don't know, you know, I got questions and I want this. Well, they announced at church one Sunday, they said, we're going to be having an Alpha course. And I, of course, I have no idea what Alpha course is. They said, you can ask any question you want. I said, I am there because I got a lot of questions. You're not going to like them, but I got a lot of questions. And so I decided to join the Alpha course. And so it was uh, starting in a couple of weeks. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll go there. And what I'll do is I'll finish the Bible by the time I take the Alpha course. So I did. So I actually read the Bible cover to cover in two months. So unlike Daniel who came to faith and then took the intellectual route, I started definitely on the intellectual route and seeing if it was real. So I went through, went to this Alpha. So they had this, this dinner. It was an introduction dinner. I'm going, you know, like, I'm waiting for this Alpha because I want to get in here. I want to ask questions. I want to disprove, not disprove again, but like discredit uh, Christianity. And what would you know? I became a Christian on the first night. <laughs> and actually, it wasn't even the first night of the course. It was the introduction dinner. I became a Christian. <laughs> And I'll tell you why, and, and I think if we take it, I don't think we have the same video. But this time I was in Shanghai, exciting time, had a great girlfriend, started a new company doing real estate. Things were just, I had lots of friends, things were great. And so in the introduction dinner, uh, Nicky Gumbel, who, who was the host, said, oh, jokingly, he said, he was talking about Jesus being the bread of life. He said, this Japanese woman came up to me one time and said, we Japanese have two stomachs. One is for meat and vegetables, 
The other one's for rice. No matter how much meat and vegetables we eat, if we don't have rice, we're always hungry. And they said, Jesus is the rice of life. Now, I was living in China, so I could really appreciate the whole rice thing. Uh, but I could also appreciate that I had all these things going for me and there's something missing. So I was really keen. So after that, after that night, I walked home and I was in a daze and I was like, you know, I'm missing something and Jesus could be the answer, but I really don't know if he exists. So I got home and I remember laying in my bed and I was like, look down at God, if you exist, I want to know you. If you don't exist, I'm just a guy home alone speaking to myself, so it doesn't matter. But God, if you exist, I want to know you. And so what I ended up doing is going to the Alpha course, and it was fantastic, because I got to ask all the questions that I had pent up, and I'm like, da-da, and then, I mean, the leaders, they were just kind of like, oh, so But it was an awesome time being able to ask all those questions. They weren't all answered 100%, but a lot of times I was directing the right way to do it. So through that, my faith, I really became, it really solidified, and so I just, Praise God. I thank God that I had an opportunity to be a participant in the, uh, in the Alpha group. And then I carried on to do, I helped to lead six or eight Alpha groups afterwards because it was so fantastic. And it was such an impact in my life. I went from, again, from like libertarian, free market capitalist, not believing, uh, agnostic, atheist, whatever it is, to becoming a Christian. And it was just, it was awesome to go through that. And so I really, really appreciated that from my faith journey, but also because the people that I met, have been some of my closest and dearest friends uh, since then. And a lot of them are in Shanghai or they've moved up, they moved overseas. But to this day, I really have a heart for them. And I led another group and, and people coming in and, and helped to lead some people to Christ. And who, they heard the gospel, they heard the good news of Jesus, and they committed their lives to Christ. And they and all of us became really close, and it's been such a blessing to both be a participant and to lead. And so I come here today before you to say Alpha works. And so I'd encourage you if you're here and you're not a believer, you're here for the first time, you're just like, I'm not Christian, my friend dragged me out. First of all, if your friend dragged you out, thank them for dragging you out because they care about you. That's the reason they dragged you out here. <clears throat> but if you're thinking about something like, I know, Alpha is a perfect time. Okay? I'll tell you, the other benefit of Alpha is you get a free meal. So uh, that, that was pretty attractive to me. So, so you'll come back, you'll get a free meal, we'll, we'll have a video, we'll have some discussion. You're free to ask any questions you want, really. And so don't feel intimidated to come out. I encourage you, if you're not believing, you're seeking, whatever it is, you're not going to be forced, you're not going to be anything like that, to come on out. If you're a Christian, if you are a Christian, you've been a Christian for a while, this course isn't for you. Don't plan on coming out to it. Uh, because one of the reasons we don't want people who are new to the faith or exploring it, we don't want a bunch of Christians being saying, oh, this is the answer, I got the answer, I got the answer. So we try to, the Christians, it's not for you. But what it is for you, is to invite a friend to church, uh, invite a friend to Alpha. You can come the first night and bring them in, but invite a friend. So often we think, okay, well, my testimony is gonna be, I'm gonna be a nice person at work, and somebody's gonna come up to me and say, what's different about you? And I'm gonna say, I follow Jesus. The problem is we're in Canada, so everybody's a nice person at work, right? <laughs> so it's not like you stick out so much. So uh, that sometimes doesn't work. So this is an opportunity, though, a very non-threatening way to invite a friend to come out to explore the faith. So I really encourage you to do that. I can't say enough about Alpha. I really, I think it's one of the best ministries in the world, and it has been so impactful in my life and the lives of so many others. So again, I'm really excited that we're having you here, and uh, just thank you for the opportunity to share that with you. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah, thank you so much. And you get a slide up here. Uh, it starts next Sunday uh, at the K Club, which is 101 Spruce. Uh, and uh, next week is the launch dinner. 
uh, and who knows? Uh, so Curtis has more information. He's at the door. If you guys have questions later, uh, you can ask him. Well, we've been going through Philippians, uh, the book of Philippians as a church in the last couple of months. And today our passage falls in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. It's a great passage to reflect on Easter with. Let me read it for us. The Apostle Paul writes this. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me ask you a question. If this building, I don't want to scare you, if this building were going to burn down right now, and you knew that you couldn't survive, all right, each one of us had enough time to make one phone call, to say one thing to somebody, who would you call, and what would you say to them? Think about that for a second. Would you ask forgiveness? Would you apologize for something in the past? Would you tell them how much you appreciate them? Would you let them know that, man, you mean so much to me? Who would you call, and what would you say to them? You got a person in mind? Now think about this, okay? You know, well, I think chances are this building won't burn down. You'll go to Sunday brunch and you'll be fine, okay? Um, <clears throat> however, <clears throat> given that that was an important person, an important thing that you want to say to them, what would keep you today from actually making that phone call? Is, it, is the fact known that, you know, you're probably not going to die today, is that good enough reason that you're not going to make that phone call, that you're not going to apologize to that person, you're not going to let them know how much you appreciate them, you're not going to call your mom to tell your mom, I appreciate you for all that you've done? What would keep a person from doing that? better question is this, in the last year, the last few months, the last decade, what's kept you from actually picking up the phone or scheduling an appointment with that person that's in your life and making amends with them? What's the thing that would keep you from telling them, I'm sorry, I was wrong? What's the thing that is actually the thing that's holding you back from reconciling with people? It's a four-letter word. Let's spell it out. P-R-I-D. Five-letter word. <laughs> Good going, public schools. <laughs> P-R-I-D, I would like to buy a file, E, <laughs> pride. Now if you're thinking, oh, it's Easter, this guy's gonna talk about pride on Easter, what's wrong with them, all right? Uh, so yeah, no, um, I, instead of talking about pride, really, I wanna talk about humility, that's what this passage is talking about today, and there's a tie-in to the Easter uh, on the end. Um, but the reality is, as we're going through this passage, the Apostle Paul is actually addressing this issue in our life, this issue of humility. The converse of that, or the inverse of that, would be 
pride. And he reminds you that if you, um, if you don't believe the Bible wholesale, that's okay. Just because you don't believe it wholesale doesn't mean that you can't learn something from it. The Apostle Paul, he's writing to the church, the first church ever that existed in Europe. It, uh, it was uh, planted in a city called Philippi. And so the, the basis of what the Apostle Paul is saying this, he's saying that you need humility to live out your purpose. You need humility to be your best. Everyone fits in somewhere. You fit in there uniquely. You're gifted in a certain way. You have a certain skill set, your personality. You fit in somewhere that's important, a family, a community, a church, a team, a workplace. You fit in there. And without humility, you can't, as a team, you can't, as a community, do what you're designed to do. You need humility to accomplish the purpose that God's called you to. Think about this. How many wars have been waged? How many marriages have been broken? How many hearts have been splintered because of pride? How many unfinished conversations are in your life right now because of pride? There's two questions from this text that we're going to ask. And the first question is this. Why, why humility? Why do we need it? What's the point? And the Apostle Paul, he takes great lengths to describe the life of Jesus. And what he actually lets us know in, in sharing this passage on uh, who Jesus is, this is typically called the Christ hymn, by the way. Whenever you get to this portion of Scripture, the church historically has talked about this as the Christ hymn. It's about the divine nature of Jesus, who he is as a person. And the, the Apostle Paul is saying this, that uh, we see in Jesus' life that humility leads to your God-intended destiny. That it was Jesus' humility that led him to the place and the, to, the, uh, to the destiny that God had planned for him. That if he struggled with pride and if he gave in to pride, he would have never accomplished the very thing that God called him to do. He would have never been the person that God called him to be. Paul would say that humility is intrinsic to fulfilling Jesus' purpose. It was uh, intrinsic to the destiny of who Jesus was. And so on Good Friday, this couple of days ago, we commemorated the day in which Jesus um, played his next step uh, into fulfilling his destiny. He died on the cross, a criminal's death. He died for the sins of man, right? Now, when he died, nobody understood why he was dying. And that's the thing. It wasn't like people had a script that, that explained, now that he's being nailed on the cross, it means that your sins are forgiven. Nobody understood that. But after the resurrection, people were not able to reinterpret the events of his death. Because in his resurrection, Jesus proved to the world he was who he said he was. He was who he's, he was the son of God who gave up his rights as God to die for the sins of the world. And I know that for, for a lot of us, and I, I remember me asking this question, why, why did that need to happen? That doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And for those who are a part of other religions, it definitely doesn't make sense that a person would die on your behalf for your own sins. Like, I should be held accountable, if anything, for my own sins. Think about this. Let me illustrate it. So imagine you're coming over from my house for Easter dinner. Okay? You're coming over tonight, um, and we're having rice, because I'm Asian, and I have two stomachs, right? That's a good illustration. Was, all the Asians in the audience got it. <laughs> um, and so, uh, and you're backing out of the driveway after dinner is over, and you hit my car, all right? So you hit my car. And we're both out there, and we're looking at the damage, and so, what are our options? Well, I could turn to you and say, well, 
you can fix it because secondly, it's your fault. You, you cause the damage, right? Um, we could choose not to fix it, um, but the damage is done. So even if we chose not to fix it, um, the damage is still done. My car is, 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 is wrecked. Uh, or I could turn to you and say, you know what? Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. I'll pay for the damages. It was your responsibility, but I, I chose to pay for it. And it's a real life example of how the sacrifice of Jesus actually means something. But the damage that we've done as human beings, God could have said, yeah, yeah, you know what? You pay for it. He could have also said, you know what? You did the damage. I'm not fixing it. If you're not going to fix it, we'll just leave it broken. But in God's humility, he sends Jesus and says, I'll, I'll pay for it. Like, I'll, I'll pay for it. And he fixes the damage. And that's what Good Friday means. It, it's the fact that Jesus took on our responsibility for our sins and for our corruption. Jesus paid it in full. Now, this is unique to Jesus. It was his assignment to go to the cross. It wasn't, it's not our assignment. That's not our job. We don't have to die for other people's sins. But the path to our destiny to what God has purposed and planned for you as who you are as a human being and what you will accomplish in this world, that path is the same as Jesus, and it runs through humility. And Jesus lived according to the gifts and the responsibilities given to him on behalf of other people. Gifts and responsibilities given to Jesus, not for his own benefit, but on behalf of other people, on behalf of you and me. So when I say destiny, I'm not saying this high life, like, oh, you're going to live this grandeur life and you're going to become famous. That's not our idea when we talk about destiny. Think about this. You're going to live a significant life. When we say destiny, think about a significant life. In biblical destiny, I think we've had the definition here, biblical definition is living a significant life according to the gifts and responsibilities given to you, not for yourself, but on behalf of other people. You're a steward of those things. You're meant to benefit other people. You can't do that without humility. Pride does the opposite. Pride says, look at me, I'm so gifted. I'm so responsible, I'm, I'm, I'm so good at this. Look at me. No, humility says, this is a gift for me, for you, right? So a significant life isn't made up of achievements. It's not made up of accolades. It's made up of loving and serving other people. Like, most of us, we understand this. Most of us, I, I would think we would agree that, yeah, it's really those who give their lives for, the, for, the, for other people, that really, Mother Teresa, that's right. So most of us, we understand this concept. But I think what, what we don't understand is that the ability to ask for forgiveness and the ability to admit wrong and the ability to apologize and the ability to praise other people, that's more intrinsic and more important to who you are as a person than your achievements and accolades. Your achievements and accolades don't build you up as a human being the way that God intended you to be. Your humility, your ability to celebrate other people, your ability to admit wrongs when you're wrong or, or to admit fault, even when you're 5% wrong on an issue, your ability to say, okay, I'm sorry, guys. Like, I miscalculated my bad, right? Most, <laughs> I know some people are 5% right on an issue, and they, they are determined to take the lead on something. Your ability to admit wrong, ask for forgiveness, say, I, I'm sorry, I did that, my fault. That's more intrinsic to who you are as a person of integrity than it is your achievements and your accolades. Nobody wants to follow, nobody wants to be around the person who's extremely successful, but they can never admit 
they're wrong. Worse yet, nobody wants to be around the person who is extremely successful and they have no concern for other people. Humility is a pathway to a significant life. Right? So humility doesn't mean that you're weak. It doesn't mean that you're a pushover. It doesn't mean that you're constantly apologizing. Paul says that humility is a lifestyle that counts others as more significant than yourself. This is how Jesus lived and breathed. It never occurred to him for a second that he was more, his interest was more important than mine or yours. It never occurred to him. He never thought that way. And like Jesus, we were destined, we were intended to be humble just like him. Humility leads to our God-given destiny. It's supposed to be our MO. I heard one pastor say that humility actually positions you for blessing. But pride is the inversion of who you really are. Where humility opens doors to your destiny, pride blocks those doors to your destiny. This is what pride does. Pride keeps me from doing what I'm supposed to do. It keeps me from saying what I'm supposed to say. When I'm supposed to praise somebody, it keeps me from doing that. When I'm supposed to hear something the right way, it causes me to twist it. Pride makes me self-conscious. That's why I'm so concerned about myself, because I'm worried about me. And also, here's the thing, pride, pride makes it hard to believe other people. And because it's hard to believe other people, pride makes it very difficult to believe God. Most people say they intellectually reject God. I almost wonder if you were dig underneath the intellectual rejection, if there's something there, if there's some pride there. It's hard to be prideful and believe somebody else's opinion or somebody else's stance. And so logically, if you're a prideful person, of course it makes sense that it's hard for you to, to believe in God because there's something that's standing in the way. So pride is a warped reality that uh, has me at the center and it believes that I'm in control. And when you're prideful, it boxes you in and it boxes other people out. But in verse 3, Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. He's not wagging his finger at saying, ah, don't be prideful. Don't, you, you don't be prideful. He's not doing that. He's like, hey, pride, pride's not you. That's not who you're designed to be. It's not healthy for you. Don't let pride control you. It's robbing you. That's what Paul's saying. It, God's got this, this awesome community, this awesome family, this awesome relationship, this awesome uh, uh, place for you to be. Don't let pride rob you from that that God has given to you. What if what's preventing, from, what if what's preventing you from living out God's purpose in your life? It's not skill, not talent, it's not opportunity. But what if it was pride? And what about the skill and the talent and the opportunity isn't coming because pride is blocking the way? Yeah, you were meant to be a better father. Yeah, you were meant to be a better student. Yeah, you're meant to be a better follower of Jesus. But what if it's pride that's keeping you from that? It's not a skill set problem. Right. Second question that um, uh, uh, we ask from this text is, well, then, okay. I think you're starting, okay, all right. So maybe there is a little bit of pride in me, all right. Um, for those of you guys who say, no, no, that's not me. Like, there's no pride in me. Well, this is for you, okay? <laughs> the next question we ask is, uh, well, how do you get it then? If that's the case, how do you get in? In mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says this, that you will never walk away from a humble person saying, wow, that person was so humble. When you walk away, you're gonna say, wow, that person, they were so interested in me. That person was so interested in me. Because a truly humble person, that's the order that they give off. They don't walk around saying, oh, I'm a nobody, I'm a nobody. Because the person that walks away says, I'm a nobody, I'm a nobody, is self-obsessed, right? 
But when you walk away from somebody who is truly humble, you're going to walk away, I don't know, that person really, really liked me. They were really present in our conversation. There are two ways that I've been humbled before. Uh, one way I liked it, the other way I didn't like it. One way was I went to a meeting late one time. My boss railed me in front of people. All right? I was humbled, but not in a good way. That's not how God wants to humble you. A second time I was uh, humbled was after me and my brother had a fallout. Seven years, didn't speak to each other. And one day we found ourselves in the same car, riding uh, an hour and a half ride. We hadn't been in the same car by ourselves in seven years. And he broke the awkward silence after half an hour into it. And he turned to me and said, hey, Daniel, I'm sorry these seven years we haven't really been uh, close to each other. And then he went on to say, this is what I appreciate about you. I'm so jealous about these things in your life. When I see Justin, we had Justin, Justin was about three years old at the time. When I see Justin, he reminds me so much of you when you were younger. I just love being around Justin because he reminds me of you. And I'm all like, this, he's driving, this eye's very dry, because I'm, I'm trying to hold it in, right? This I'm like sobbing out of this eye, right? Okay, I'm losing it at this point. He humbled me. And that's the same way that God would humble us. The most humble person humbles you to heal you. A proud person humbles you, and they hurt you. But a humble person humbles you to heal you. And Paul says this, where do you get this? He says in verse four to five, he says, let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Only the most humble person can give you the humility that was robbed from you because of pride and sin. Only he can restore that back in your life. When Jesus humbles you, it's because he wants to heal you. When Jesus is healing you, you will be left more humble than before. The question that Paul's answering for the Philippians is this. They're, they're actually, the question in the book of Philippians, they're actually asking the question, why should we stay joyful in the midst of persecution. Circumstances are so hard. We're being treated unfairly. People are persecuting just because we believe in Jesus. Why should we stand for this? Why should we be joyful? Why should we be humble? Paul's trying to answer this question to the Philippians. And I know that you, just like me, you've asked this question before. Like, I've been faithful to God. Where I've been doing the right thing. I'm a good person. Why are my circumstances so unfair? Why should I continue this way? Paul gives in the Christ hymn a resounding, a resounding answer. You should stay humble and stay joyful because in Jesus, he makes it worth it. It is completely worth it. Paul writes in verse 9 that therefore God has highly exalted him. God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's Easter. When, when Paul says that he is highly exalted, he's obviously alluding to the fact that Jesus is no longer dead. He's won. He, he persisted in humility. It looked like he lost, but in the end, look what happened. He's Lord. He's living out his destiny. Jesus won. 
Resurrection proves that when you're humble in the situation where you don't think you deserve to be in, that if you persevere in it, even though it feels like suffering, even when the other person isn't apologizing, even when the other person isn't humble, that in the end, if you choose humility, resurrection proves that Jesus wins. Because you follow him, you win too. You never lose. You never lose when you act in humility. I love hearing stories of people who, they're at one point they were far from God, and it was because of their heart, they're so prideful. Right? And I'm not here pointing fingers. I, I feel like I'm the most proud person, uh, definitely in my family, I can tell you that, maybe in our church too. But there's something magical, something transformational when you say, okay, but I don't think I know everything. I don't think I should uh, you know, take the lead on this. I don't think I should be the loudest voice in the room. Something about that breaks open this dam in which the love of God and faith begin to flood in. But it starts from you saying and me saying, I don't have all the answers and I'm wrong. God, reveal yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me. Remember N.T. Wright, I was talking about uh, the early uh, part of this, uh, the time, and I said I had all these questions, and I randomly emailed this guy, and he responded to me. Didn't know that he was a world-renowned New Testament scholar. Had no clue. The only books that I read at that time for inspiration, uh, not to knock on him because he's a very godly man, was Max Lucado. That was the only uh, pastor Christian book that I had read at that point. And N.T. Wright responded to me, and I want to pull a, a quote from N.T. Wright uh, that has impacted my life. And N.T. Wright writes this, he says, Jesus doesn't give an explanation for the pain and the sorrow of the world. He comes where the pain is most acute, and he takes it upon himself. Jesus doesn't explain why there is suffering, illness, and death in the world. He brings healing and hope. He doesn't allow the problem of evil to be the subject of a seminar. He allows evil to do its worst to him. But then he exhausts it, and he drains its power, and he merges with new life. Whatever pain that's been brought into your life, you can humbly accept it. Stay humble. You don't have to be right. Because in Christ, he will transform that pain make it meaningful. Emerging from the pain, emerging from the hurt, is a new way to live, is a new life. This morning we're going to baptize uh, five people as a sign of God bringing new life to people. And as they go into the water, it means that that old life, they've humbled themselves. They're dead to that life. And as they come up, they're risen with Jesus to walk this new life. They get the glory. They get the victory with Jesus. And we get to celebrate that. But I also want to ask you this morning, if you're in this place where you, you, if you are from God, it may not start with you getting your life right and perfect. It may just start with you this morning saying, God, I want to humble myself before you. Speak to me. When you feel like he's spoken to you, Trust him. Believe him. The victory that he achieved in Jesus Christ, he is so willing and ready to share with you because he wants to bring you healing. Let's pray together.